Welcome to the Broadcast Storm, episode number 108, interview with Keith Barker. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Wallace, and in this episode of the Broadcast Storm, I've got the pleasure of talking to uh, to one of my best friends in the industry. I've known him for a couple of decades almost. I consider him to be the gold standard when it comes to technical instruction. It's my good friend, Keith Barker. Keith, welcome to the Broadcast Storm. Ah, Kevin, I'm so honored to be here. Great to chat with you again. Thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. You bet. Yeah. And we're kind of reversing roles. Uh, you allowed me to be on uh, your YouTube channel a while back. So if any of my listeners haven't checked that out, go uh, go check out Keith's channel. Or what is your channel on YouTube? You know, if you do a search for Keith Barker Networking or the uh, OG of IT, the original gangster of IT, uh, either one <laughs> of those will bring you right to Or if you search for Keith Barker or Kevin Wallace, that's that'll bring us right to that Boom. interview. Boom. What a good idea. Let's just kind of go back in time a little bit because my guess is almost everybody listening to the broadcast storm knows who Keith Barker is. Just in case we've got some newcomers to the industry, can you go back in time and give us a little bit of the high-level overview of the Keith Barker career? I know I've heard stories about like working around the Starship Enterprise back in the day. <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what's, what brought you to this point? Oh, okay, so I'll give, we'll do the quick version. I, uh, I was born in 1964. <laughs> it was dark. It was a cold morning. Um, I was a cashier back in the 80s, and I was at a hardware store, a cashier, and I had these commercials that were on the screens for this Control Data Institute, get a job in IT. So uh, I got a loan, a student loan, for like five or $6,000, went to this one-year course at Control Data Institute in Los Angeles, Culver City, actually. And you know, you know what happened, Kevin? What's that? I w it was a year-long course. I was learning all about you know circuits and microcomputers and programming and everything else. And at eight months in, EDS, Electronic Data Systems, which is a company that got bought since by many people, including HP, Ross Perot's old company, mm -hmm. they came in, they were looking for a technician, and CDI, Control Data Institute, recommended me. And they said, Interview this guy. So they, I interviewed, and they offered me a job. And you know what I said? I said, uh, I'm not done with high schooling yet. I'm not done with high training yet. And they said, oh, my gosh, you really don't know anything. Because the reason you're in school is to prepare you to get a real job. And then when you get the real job, you keep learning. So I got hired eight months out of school as a field technician for EDS and just kept going from there. So EDS, Blue Cross of California, uh, several casinos and consulting business here in Las Vegas, um, Paramount Pictures was in that list and uh, a few others. So I have, a, I have a really fun job. My longest job was like three or four years at that time because I just mm -hmm. kept growing and leapfrogging. But that's it. So uh, I was around when modems used 1,200 baud, wow. <laughs> which is ancient. But uh, that's, cool. my, that's my brief uh, history. Currently, I'm, uh, I do training full-time at CBT Nuggets, and uh, that's my longest career job ever. It's been like almost eight years now. Now, I, I'm curious, at what point in your career, because you were starting down this uh, this technical track, at what point did it kind of occur to you that, you know what, I've kind of got this little knack for teaching and explaining things to others? Uh, is that something you think you've had all your life? Is that something, is that a skill you developed? Do you think you were born with it? So I was raised in a faith-based organization, and in that organization, there was a lot of encouragement for public speaking and communicating. So I think I am grateful for my parents for that experience about being able to teach and talk. But as far as when I really started training full-time, I used to be the manager at, at Paramount Pictures in Hollywood. And I was like 1994-ish, three-ish, and I wanted to move to Las Vegas. And I decided at that point I wanted to teach. And so I took, I took a 50% salary cut, Kevin. Whoa. 
So I moved out of state to Las Vegas to Nevada and started teaching full time. So since then I've done consulting and had a top secret clearance a few times and, and done some other work. But, you know, I just, I love, I was, I listened to one of your podcasts, by the way, to, recently, just because I wanted to say, okay, I'm going to be on Kevin's podcast. I want to, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You know, it's entertaining. It's educational. They're fast and effective. And, and I think we both get the thrill out of changing people's lives, right? Like seeing that For light sure. bulb go off. It's like, how many people do we know that have changed their lives because they got some information, they pursued it, they were they want to get more training? Uh, and boy, I love helping the tide to rise, making a difference. So yeah, teaching's a blast. It's because we're making meaningful connections, even though we don't always get a chance to meet every single student these days, because there's mm-hmm. there's more than what more than five. Sure. Yeah, um, but I, I love teaching. It was that change in, at Paramount Pictures, leaving that to go to Las Vegas when I made the change to say, you know, I really would like to do training uh, full-time. I also, um, I also work for Mastering Computers and KnowledgeNet, as you know, for a while, um, and I, I love that as well. Awesome. Very cool. Obviously, I'm a subscriber to your YouTube channel, watch a lot of your videos, and you do a lot of introductory stuff to help people just get into the industry. But I know that your knowledge base goes way deep. Uh, You've got two CCAs, one of which is in security. And uh, my CCAs, we both have route switch. I've got collaboration in addition to that. You've got security in addition to that. But I just want to pick your brain about security a little bit, if we could, for, for all the listeners out there. Sure. Uh, there a couple of things that uh, you, you go to Cisco Live and you hear these cool emerging technologies and you think, wow, I wonder how that works or wonder what's going to happen there. And a couple of things that have been uh, head scratchers for me that uh, I dug into a little bit, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Number one is uh, like quantum computing. We hear about how with quantum computing, we can make a change and we have these entangled particles and the, the other particle instantaneously changes. And basically we can do processing super, super fast. As they say in the math classes, we asymptotically approach like uh, uh, instantaneous computing. And when we get there, aren't we going to be able to break security algorithms? I, I hear that AES, sort of the, the flagship security algorithm today, once there's quantum computing out there, aren't we going to be able to kind of break that? And I, and I start to hear about these quantum safe algorithms, and I know absolutely nothing about those. Has that, is that something you've worked with? Can you shed any light on that? So uh, I have not worked on any quantum algorithms recently. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is that AES is a great encryption standard, but what keeps it safe is proper key management. And so... The algorithm itself is public, but the keys are private and are established and dynamically set up between the peers. The challenge is once quantum computing becomes a reality, those keys, they can be cracked. And yep. those algorithms as a result won't be valuable. So Cisco, I know, is doing a lot of work to keep on top of that or keep ahead of it. So for some people, it might be like, well, we don't need to worry about that for maybe a decade or two decades, but it's coming. I mean, just imagine every thing we thought of being secure with encryption, having now a, a artificial intelligence, machine learning, and quantum computing that could break those keys in a matter of minutes. So um, yeah, things are going to change. It's going to be a wild, wild ride. There's going to be a whole field for not just mathematicians, because I don't, I, I have a problem with two to the power of zero, frankly. Uh, <laughs> can you explain to me why that's always one? Yeah, anything raised to the power of zero is one. That does not make sense. I've just accepted it. And uh, 
I try not to think about it. <laughs> so, so I asked that question almost as a joke. Sometimes when I meet a, like a math teacher, but I was on a, uh, I was in Europe uh, a few months ago and my wife and I were on this, uh, we met this woman and she's a math, she's a math professor. So uh-huh. I break out my joke, right? I'm going into the arsenal. Okay. So why is two to the power of anything to the power of zero always one? And she explains it in mathematical terms. Whoa. I wish I'd, I wish I'd written it down. It was complicated. <laughs> He goes, oh, yeah, it's obvious because blah, 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 wow. And I always thought just because that's what it is. So getting back to quantum computing, um, things are changing. And, it, and for the average human, we don't have to be a mathematician to take advantage of emerging protocols and how they work, like Diffie-Hellman exchange, which for the common man is just an algorithm, that, a set of rules that allow two devices to establish a secret over a public non-secret channel so that at the end of the day they can have that secret to work with the keys or to establish the keys and get them um but most of that's going to go out the window with quantum computing whenever that hits so it'll be a fun ride to see what happens they're going to be uh yeah lots of upgrading happening all at once Uh, speaking of encryption something i heard at cisco live a couple years ago that just blew my mind it seems so impossible and non-intuitive they were talking about uh, encrypted traffic uh, analysis or analytics because they were talking about uh, the percentage of computing or percentage of data going across our networks that's encrypted. Now we've got ID, uh, we've got uh, intrusion prevention system sensors that can look at data in real time. We've got this signature database, and we can say, "Oh, that matches a known threat. We're going to drop it." But if it's encrypted. How are we going to know that it's bad data if it's all scrambled up? How are we going to match that against a signature? And Cisco claims that, uh, yeah, they're, they're in encrypted traffic analytics. They can match something like somewhere in the high 90% of uh, malicious traffic. They can match that. How do they intuitively know that this is a bad packet when it's all scrambled up? Well, that's, that's a great question. Let me, let me back up just a half step, and then let's talk about that. Please. So, do you suppose, I'm talking just to everybody now, do we want to know if there's bad traffic or bad actors doing things on our networks and systems? I think the answer is a resounding, yeah, we want to know. So some of the challenges that more and more of our traffic on the networks is encrypted. If you go to sites today, they're using SSL, which is good for the user, but it's not good for the person trying to analyze the data. So a big step that we've been doing for decades, well, with next generation firewalls, maybe a decade, is that outbound traffic, we have a device that plays a man in the middle attack, but it's our device and it has the certs on it and the keys so that when a user connects to it, we actually terminate it at that firewall. Let's say it's a, let's say it's a, a, a check, I almost said checkpoint. Uh, if it's a Cisco environment, it'd be a firepower appliance, but some next generation firewall device, the, so Bob, the user, goes out to some secure site, it stops at the firewall, the firewall builds the SSL session with the user, makes its own request, proxies it out also with SSL, and that way for a few, I'll say it, milliseconds, although it might be uh, a few hundred or a few thousand milliseconds, it's going to have a chance to look at that raw data. So it can analyze it, look at the application layer and say, oh, oh my gosh, look at these HTML calls, or oh my goodness, look where these guys are really going. He's trying mm-hmm. to hide this with an SSL tunnel, but he's really going here. So that's a, that's a big step. Now, part of that is privacy. We don't want to restri- we don't want to analyze people's traffic if they're going to Bank of America or Chase or Capital One, because now the company who's analyzing that data 
local on the on prem or in their cloud is now have access to their you know their keystrokes and their commands and everything else that should be private if they're going to a personal site. Okay, so uh, apart from that, uh, once all the traffic is encrypted, I mean, we have really amazing apps out there like uh, Wicker and uh, most iPhone communications are encrypted now. So the challenge is how do we know if there's malicious activity going on there? And the answer is machine learning and artificial intelligence. Mm. So by looking at enough traffic and seeing patterns and then dynamic, when an attack comes out, even if the traffic is encrypted, the patterns and behavior, if it, if it quacks like a duck, smells like a duck, looks like a duck, it's probably a malicious packet. <laughs> um, so that's what they're, that's what they're uh, proposing with the encrypted traffic analysis. But here's, here's something I learned about 20 years ago, maybe 25, and that is this. Whenever a company or a vendor comes out with a product, seeing is believing. I, I, I was at a, a bank. I was doing some consulting for a bank, and they had bought this fault-tolerant RAID system with, like, I don't know, six or eight drives or nine drives, whatever it was. They said, yeah, if one of these drives fails, the others will carry on, no problem. So as part of that verification, because they wanted me to do analysis of the system, I said, great, let's replicate or take this secondary machine that's not in production, right, run it, mm -hmm. and I'm going to physically pull a drive out and see what happens. The whole thing crashed. Whoa. So my, my point is, and that was you know a long time ago. I'm sure technology is right. better. But uh, measure twice, cut once, verify. So in an environment where uh, a company claims to have encrypted traffic analysis, or analytics rather, where they can say, mm -hmm. oh yeah, we're going to identify that malicious traffic, it would be great to put that in a sandbox. Not, and I'm going to say this for every vendor, not the vendor sandbox, but our own. Mm -hmm. Get some known, contained, malicious content, throw the attack in, and then say whether or not it picks it up. Because if it doesn't pick it up in your network, it doesn't matter how many times it might pick it up in the demo. <laughs> yeah. And that's, a, yeah. and that's a lesson that repeats itself over and over again. Now, I heard a joke about, um, uh, about this guy who passes away. And of course, it's just a story. He passes away and he's given a choice, do you want to go to heaven or hell? And so he given this picture. Have you heard this before, Kevin? No, no, I haven't. Okay, well, this is royalty free. So you look, <laughs> so he, he's given the choice, you go, I have a choice? And they say, yeah, I have a choice. And so he's given the picture of heaven. It's, it looks, you know, it's fine, nice, peaceful, but not a lot of activity. Uh, and then he gives a, he's been given a preview of what hell looks like. And he's just, it's his favorite sports team. It's his favorite friends. They're hanging around doing their favorite things. Uh, beautiful people, great music playing. And so he goes, I'll take hell. So he, goes, <laughs> so he chooses hell and he ends up in hell. And it's just as terrible as an imagination could make it. It's just fire, brimstone, whatever it is that hell looks like to a person. And he says, wait, wait, I need to talk to a supervisor. I was, t I, you know, this isn't what I thought it was. And he finally talks to him. He says, I, what is this? I was shown sports teams and you know having fun with my friends and beautiful people and you know what they said what's that that was the demo <laughs> anyway so always measure twice cut once verify that what you're going to purchase is actually doing the job you want and encrypted traffic and analytics and any type of security measure it's important as a countermeasure but i think you you said it really well i loved it in our last interview you said security should be like 
uh, in layers. Like you, you have like many blankets, you pull one over your leg, the other the other leg. You, mm-hmm. you just have multiple layers of defense in depth to keep a network safe. And I think ETA could be a, a, a big part of that, especially as more traffic is encrypted. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see something beyond the uh, beyond the demos. That's cool. Yeah. I, just for fun, let's get uh, let's get non IT for a few moments. I, I hear okay. I've heard I've heard you mention on some of your YouTube videos that you are like a, a certified hypnotist. Tell us about that. What led to you becoming a hypnotist? Are there any now? I, I've been uh, I was on a cruise ship <laughs> one time, uh, and and there was the hypnotist hypnotist on board, and yep. uh, and I volunteered and. Uh, I, I became Hannah Montana, which was entertaining for the uh, for the cruise ship. But uh, beyond just like uh, stage shows and things like that, are there any like self hypnosis techniques that you can use, like for personal development, for better studying, or or anything our listeners can actually use to improve their lives? Or I just left into that whole story. How did you get into hypnotism? Uh, well, that's it's a super fun journey for me. So I I grew up in a very um, structured. Some people might call it a cult as far as an organization with a certain type of belief system. Mm-hmm. And as I, an adult, as I got out of that, I wondered, what the heck happened there? <laughs> like, how does a rational adult believe the earth is flat? And that wasn't the actual thing. But, you know, take your pick of – there's a lot of weird things people can believe. It's like, how does that happen? So as an adult, I went to a, a hypnosis show, and it was just super fun, like your cruise ship. It's just super mm-hmm. fun. People doing fun things. I thought – what is that? I really want to know. So I had a few extra dollars in my pocket and uh, I signed up for a four-day hypnotist class taught by this major hypnotist in Las Vegas. There was hundreds of people there, Kevin. I was sitting next on my right. There was a doctor from Australia. He was an anesthesiologist. On my left, there was Lance. He's a, he does, a, he runs a, not a carnival, but he, he performs magic affairs. He was going to add hypnosis. So I thought to myself, I'm sitting between a doctor and a performer, and they're both studying hypnosis. You know, what? what's up with that? I was just fascinated. So they taught the techniques, and I learned that there's nothing supernatural about hypnosis. And I also learned about, you know, the movies make it, like 50% of what you see in the movies is completely movie land stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to find the core of what worked, and I, there's a gentleman named Corey Osborne, and he's a Java programmer. And he did smoking cessation, helping people stop smoking. And I, I said to him, you know, I, I'm not sure about this whole hypnosis thing. I don't, I'd love to experience it. Could you, I'd be willing to have you hypnotize me if you're, I want, I want, would you, will you do it? And Corey said, oh, yeah, easy peasy. So on a break, he took me in the hall at this convention center. And in five minutes, I was like, oh, I get it. I, I now understand what this is. It's not sleeping. It is hyper-focused, paying attention, and then letting your imagine run. But you, you know you're in it. It's not like mm-hmm. you... So, um, so how does that apply to somebody who wants to... And then it took me a year, Kevin, before I actually practiced. <laughs> so it's like going studying for IT. Like, okay, I'm going to study some IT, but I'm not going to do any hands-on practice for a year. Yeah. Imagine how that's going to work out. It's like uh, I can explain dynamic ARP inspection, but as far as configuring it, I can't do it. So um, after a year, I went back to that class as a refresh. Then I started practicing, and I, I try to spend five to six hours a month with people. So I work with smoking cessation, people who want to change their eating behaviors, their health, and so forth. So for a person going in to study 
I do have a, a video on my YouTube channel it's about preparing for an exam mm -hmm. that talks a little bit about But here's, here's something everybody can do right now if you're not driving. Is that okay, Kevin? Please. <laughs> if you're operating heavy machinery or you have other people's lives <laughs> in your hand at the moment, uh, you might not want to do this. But what you could do, let's imagine somebody wants to, as you listen to the sound of my voice, and you're thinking about an exam that you might want to take in the future, before you take that exam, before you sit down, think about a time when you were really able to accomplish something in a fantastic manner or when you really felt confident. Maybe it was an award that you've received. Perhaps it was an accomplishment that you completed at work or something in your family. Just bring up a moment where you absolutely crushed it. You did great. You felt great, you were confident, and you were happy, and it just felt so good. And what you can do is you can do something called future pacing, and then you can also do um, a trigger. So I, I have a trigger. I'm going to show Kevin because yeah, I've got him on camera, but everybody else, I'm just pushing my thumb against my finger. That trigger for me, I can raise goosebumps on my arm. I don't know if you can see that, Kevin, or not. <laughs> Oh, wow. Putting, That's freaky. I, I, I'll free. confirm to the listening audience that Keith has goosebumps. <laughs> because it's just conditioning. So if I ever, if a person ever wants to um, have that flow state where they're just, I am solid and calm and ready, the, the, the secret is bringing up those memories that where you've had that and then anchoring it with just give me anything, touching a finger, uh, maybe not something like raising your hand because you want to be able to do this wherever you need to. And then when you come to the exam, you sit down for the exam and you just think to yourself about those memories and that flow state and you just touch your finger or whatever that trigger is for you, those feelings can come back. Now, if a person is studied and prepared, they're going to have a better opportunity for recollection and for nailing that exam and doing really mm -hmm. great just by bringing themselves into that state. Now, for a person who has not studied... This is just an exercise in relaxation. <laughs> um, so that's how it can apply to a, a person. But as far as um, here's what I learned about hypnosis is that if we're looking for someone else to solve our problem, whether it's losing weight or exercising more or stop smoking or study more, we need to stop waiting for that other person mm -hmm. to change our lives. And we need to look in the mirror and say, OK, it's time. And take the steps. Uh, yeah, I wish. I thought that hypnosis might be, oh, maybe this is a way to program myself to always. The secret is to set your goals, take steps, measure those steps, and then repeat and continue moving. So I, I love hypnosis. Uh, people, it's amazing, Kevin, how many people <laughs> um, are interested in it. I, I'll, I'll go and speak. Uh, my wife and I spoke at a, a theater event about two, maybe three months ago, and the woman from the audience afterwards said, hey, can you help me with something? And I'll listen, and if I can, I will be happy to offer my services. But what it won't fix, it won't fix a medical condition. Like if somebody's got diabetes, mm -hmm. you got to take some medicine for that. <laughs> yeah. You know, lose some weight. Well, we can help people lose weight, but it won't get rid of the diabetes itself. So anyway, that's my, uh, that's my trip through uh, memory lane regarding hypnosis. I'm, I'm a huge fan of... Helping people help themselves. And I, I honestly feel that life is not fair. It just isn't. 
I mean, there's discrimination and people are born in terrible circumstances often or countries that don't have fair governments or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But no matter where a person is dropped, what situation they're put into, by making small, consistent changes over time, they can make a difference. I was chatting with a friend uh, last week, and uh, the analogy we talked about was it's like a beach. Uh, if you have a beach, there's like, I don't know how many thousands of tons of sand there are in a typical beach, but there's a lot. And if somebody wanted to create their own beach, they do it one teaspoon at a time. So you get one teaspoon a day, you dump it, and then after a few months, you might make a sandcastle. And then after a few years, you might have a little patch of sand. But the key is the journey, you know, making sure those teaspoons keep moving and not just saying, I want a beach tomorrow, because that's what a lot of people feel like. I want the beach tomorrow. The secret is, let's start with a teaspoon every day of sand. And you may never get to a full beach, but by George, if you and a few hundred other people are dumping that teaspoon every day, you can be happy while you do it. You can make a difference in the world. And maybe you're putting a beach there eventually for somebody else to enjoy, which is also a great, you know, great blessing to help other people. So it sounds like what, what you're saying is, while hypnosis is not going to teach you how to configure OSPF, uh, so <laughs> there are some techniques that you can use to help you show up as your best self on exam day. That's really uh, that's how we can take a practical application from this. Absolutely. And, uh, and while we're on that topic, I'll just uh, share with the listeners uh, what, um, what I've been doing lately along those lines. Uh, have you heard of the book of uh, Presence by Amy Cuddy? She's got a great TED Talk. Um, no, you know, I'll, I'm going to write. I'm going to write it down. What's the name again? Uh, it's uh, Presence by Amy Cuddy. Uh, she's uh, yeah. You can watch like the 18 minute TED talk, but she has this. She's a professor, and she talks about uh, the concept of a power pose. And uh, she says that if uh, you need more confidence, if you will adopt this power pose, which she says for women standing like Wonder Woman or Superman, you know, uh, legs spread, he- hands on hips. If you stand there in that power pose and you look up. Uh, you look up with your eyes and you smile for two minutes, it will reduce cortisol and it will increase testosterone in both men and women. And I've been trying that lately. The last two Cisco exams I've taught, uh, not taught, but the last two Cisco exams I took, I went to the restroom prior to the exam and, uh, Mm -hmm. and I I did the power pose for two minutes. I went into the, I went into one of the stalls and I found that was more effective than the urinal. I went into one of the stalls (laughs) um, and I stood there for two minutes with this big, stupid grin on my face, looking up hands on hips. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it actually calms the nerves a little bit. At least, at least it did for me. So when you were talking about the, uh, the anchor that you made with your thumb and finger, I thought that's kind of, that's kind of similar, I guess, to what we're doing here. So, uh, I, I would, I would, first of all, thank you for bringing in the word anchor. I use the word trigger. Some some people might argue or might uh, recommend, Kevin, that that power pose is indeed that type of a anchor. Um, now, I am the biggest skeptic on the planet, I got to tell you. Like, people are like, I love enthusiasm. And so I would, I would guess that if we were to measure your cortisol and testosterone after those two minutes... I don't know if I would, we would see a chemical change, but the attitude and the results is what we're after, correct? 
That's correct. <laughs> All right. Now that we've talked enough about uh, some some non IT stuff, let's circle back and and talk to our listeners that are kind of getting in to the world of IT or considering it. They're listening to the podcast and they're watching your videos and my videos. What would you what would you say to someone that's considering getting into IT? Are there like three things you think? Here's what uh, here's what you should do. Yes. Okay. Great. So as I think back, uh, when I was starting to get into IT. I was very excited about it. You know, I went to Control Data Institute and I signed up. I put money on the line. I put skin in the game. And I think that's an important aspect to have some commitment, uh, whether it's financial or time or something else that you're going to put into it. And then as I was learning uh, as a new person back in the 80s and learning about the color codes on resistors and everything else, I didn't know what was important and what was not important at the time as far as working the career. But I just attacked everything with an interest and a curiosity, and I wanted to learn it. So I would say one of the first steps is have a strong desire to really get everything and ask questions. And a big part of that is teaching other people. I didn't discover the secret till later, but if, if we're learning, let's imagine we're learning uh, floating static routes. <clears throat> that's, that's a fun topic. So if we're learning floating static routes, and first of all, why they're important, how to configure them, how to verify them, uh, the first thing I would have a person do is teach that to somebody else. What do you mean, Keith, teach it to somebody else? If you have a, a dog or a significant other or, or a child or a parent, and they will listen to you, teach them about floating static routes because that's going to help reinforce your understanding of it. It's also going to help us understand, oh, my gosh, I don't understand this good enough to explain it. And the next time you go visit it, your brain has had a chance to work on it, you'd be more receptive. So the enthusiasm for learning and then the ability or the, the desire to teach it to other people and share that information. And the third is the rain dance. Did you know, Kevin, that the rain dance, which is a, um, in some environments and cultures, is uh, where they dance and they cause it to rain. Did you know that rain dances always work? I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. If you just keep dancing until it rains, <laughs> they always work. So I think about that with, you know, the analogy of a teaspoon of sand to build a beach or working out once a day towards a better, you know, being more fit. So the, the key is just don't give up. You can't, it's hard to lose if you just keep getting up. So if the goal is uh, I want to be a certified engineer, or I want to be in this field, in 10 years, you just back that off and say, what would that person, you know, what would that person need? They would need these certs or they need this education. And then they would start getting those pieces and you just keep on moving. Uh, one fascinating example of this is I worked at Paramount Pictures in like 94. That's a long, long time ago. Yes, electricity was still around, but it was still a long time ago. And about maybe a decade or two and a half later, I was contacted by somebody that I worked with at Paramount Pictures, and they said, Keith, I need to get my CCNA. What's the best way to learn it? And I thought to myself, that's like a, over a decade ago. And I had a couple CCAs by then because I just consistently over time was studying and practicing. And that's, that's the secret. It's just if you look at politics or if you look at people who have you know, succeeded in incredible ways, like any senior executive – uh, of the major companies in the world, they got there through persistence and continual movement in the direction of their goals. They had the goals and they kept on moving. So uh, interest, uh, 
keep on learning, keep on sharing that information with other people to reinforce that, and then just never give up. And once you reach the goals, this happened to me a few months ago. Kevin, once we reach a goal, oh boy, if we don't have that next goal already lined up, that's an opportunity to flounder and fail. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe before we just get to that goal, say, okay, great. Once I get here, then I'm going to go there and just keep on moving. So those are the some tidbits that I would tell my younger self if I could go back in a time machine and give myself some coaching. Love it. Let's just wrap it up here by what's on your mind? What, what are you thinking about? Any, any parting thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners? Yeah. Um, in this day and age, it's important to have meaningful skills that people can bring to the table. Um, people are not going to hire us all the time just because we have a nice space or we're kind. Um, they're going to hire us based on what we can bring as far as value to their company. So I would say for every human within the sound of my voice, as we look at working and providing value, if we focus on value for the company, if we focus on value for our families, if we focus on value for humans, that's the key to focus on what will be better. How will we make this place, a, you know, for if the company's forking out dollars so that you can be an employee, what can I do in measurable terms to provide the most value or provide even more value than what I'm being paid for? And I think if that's where our minds are, like, how can I help my neighbor, right? How can I provide value for them? How can I be of service? That is the attitude that's going to get us very, very far because we can look back and we can say, I did nothing in my life, or at least since you made this decision to just provide value and be kind, I've done nothing in my life. I need to look back and say, oh my gosh, I am so, my motivations were poor. I didn't care about that person. If our motivations are pure, we can look back with a a clear conscience and um, not have to have regrets. Also, you know, when technology comes out, like this, the uh, encrypted traffic analytics or other features and functions, the the thing I like to think about is instead of, oh, look at this cool new thing, I think of, oh, look, this thing can bring value to this type of customer. Or if we're working for a customer or a company saying, this technology is going to bring value to us here. And I'm always looking for the 80-20. I want to look for the 20% of the things that I can do or we can do or the 20% of the technology that's going to bring us the 80% of the value. And then if we get that done, then we can look at other things that will bring less value. But focusing on delivering value, people appreciate, whether it's an employee, a spouse, a father, a child, they appreciate the individual who is looking to enhance the things around them and to provide value. And if our heart's in the right place, uh, that's the way to go. So I would say always look to provide more value uh, than you're paid for. And if your current employer or your current situation isn't as good as you want it to be, new opportunities will show up as you continue to provide value and just be a happy person. So that would be the, the last parting coach, uh, coaching words I would like to share. That is an awesome perspective. Keith, I want to give you a huge thank you for joining us here on the Broadcast Storm. I'm sure our listeners are going to gain a ton of value from your insights. Ah, thanks, Kevin. It's good to talk to you. And on that note, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I'll see you next time on the Broadcast Storm. Broadcast Storm.